Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, this morning, and as uh, we gather here to hear your word, Lord, we acknowledge that your word is an eternal truth, that it has no turning, and that you do not turn, that you are eternal. So, Lord, as we hear your word this morning, that you would speak to us, may we receive it with a uh, grateful heart, and, Lord, that you would um, filter out anything that is not of you from this uh, message. And Lord, we do also just pray for the Sunday school teachers who, may, uh, who have to live in the middle. Pray that you would also just use them to speak the truth to our children. And we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, you know, when I was in high school, I used to work as a busboy at this country club. As an, you know, as an immigrant person, you know, I, it was just like an amazing, amazing experience in a way, uh, because you know it was a typical like old money place with all these like people with upper echelon like you know status. Now, obviously, because you know you have to what you have to usually pay like upwards of hundred thousand dollars per year, right, to be a member. Um, and so obviously their posh lifestyle, it just showed, you know, they would just go out and just, you know, do uh, the round of golf and then you, they just come back and to the dining hall, the lounge area, and then I would just be there serving, you know, this like incredible food. And um, so, you know, and, as we know, these country clubs and other places that require membership, they have privileges, the membership privileges. That, we, uh, that they maintain. So not everybody could just because you really wanted to, you can't just barge into a country club and say, hey, I just want some food. Can I just simply pay for it? You can't do that. It's only for the members, right? So now, then the question is that what kind of privileges do God's people have? If our society has a lot of places that require membership and dues, what about God's people? What kind of privileges do we have? Now, hold that thought. So last week, we saw that God is a covenant-keeping God. We saw that making a covenant was a serious, serious matter. It's really a mind-blowing reality that God is a covenant-keeping God that he would make a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. God, God swearing by his own name because there is no higher authority than himself. And he was swearing, swearing, saying that I will be cursed if I do not keep my promise. But now, that does not mean that, that it's a free ride for us who are in, in, also in the covenant. For, for, for the covenant people. The stipulation of the covenant is that God, while God would keep his promises, that his covenant people are to obey and trust him. There was a stipulation, right? So it's not a one-way thing. For God to fulfill his promises, his people must believe God and his word and follow him. You don't, we don't just simply kick back and say, God, you know, we just uh, fold our arms and say, God, you do your thing. Make sure that you keep your promises 
because you made a covenant with us. No, we are to also, to make it uh, validated, we have to obey and follow. It's a two-way street. Like in today's term, the closest thing, uh, it, it, you know, closest, closest thing in a way that we can think of is marriage. Marriage is a covenantal, right? Uh, you do not simply get in and out of marriage on a whim. It's a serious commitment. Just because you feel like it, that you enter into a marriage, uh, enter into marriage, and just because you feel like it or because of the irreconcilable differences, that you just get out of marriage. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's a covenant that you have made. Right? Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, recently you know, had a, the, the, the news right, that he uh, worth about $140 billion, right, that he's going to be divorcing his wife of 25 years. So if you kind of think about it, just even just monetarily, right, for a guy who has $140 billion, and if they just split it right down the middle, gosh, he's losing $70 billion. I mean, it's costly. Just even just simply talking about monetary way. Not that that's how it's going to be, but you know, he's going to lose a huge chunk of his assets. Marriage is a serious thing, even in the world's standard. But to us Christians, it is a sacred thing. And you make a vow before God and the, the witnesses to be a faithful and loving husband and wife, right? And to keep, uh, so you see, the covenantal faithfulness is an absolute must for any covenant to be uh, to keep its uh, promises, right? Faithfulness, and there are devastating, uh, devastating consequences if you do not follow and if you break the covenant, the conditions, the stipulations. So, you know, to, to keep the covenant of marriage, both husband and wife must honor the covenant. It's not just one side. It's not only the husband has to really work at it. It's not only the wife that has to work at it. It's both of them have to honor the commitment that they have made together. Right. So singles and engaged couples here, right, make sure that you know that it is a covenantal relationship. It is sacred and it is solemn. Okay, so that's pretty much it for my premarital counseling. So if you have further questions, make sure to go and talk to Pastor Jay. He would love to sit down with you and then just talk about deeper things about, you know, the marriage, right? So um, now, the, just the point is that when we get, get enter into a covenant, it's a two-way street. It's not just only God doing all these things for us, and we sit there and then just simply receive. All right, keep it coming, God. That's not how it works. Now, this passage is relevant to us because we are the covenant people of God. It speaks to us. Being the covenant people does not mean that we don't lift a finger and expect God to do everything. We have to do our part. So I will be focusing on two aspects of being God's covenant people. And the first point that I want to bring out to you is the purpose. Yeah, the purpose, um, the first point is the purpose for God's covenant people. So what is God's purpose for his covenant people? I mean, what does God have in mind when he has entered into this covenant relationship with his people? 
Why did God make covenant with Abraham in the first place? And by extension, what is his purpose for us? Now, we are allowed to let in on God's thought about Abraham and what he was thinking. Because in this passage, there is a divine counsel taking place. Now, in verse 19... All right, just just hear me out here. Uh, Verse 19 says, For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. There in verse 19 it says, chosen. It, It means chosen in love. Right. So the purpose, and as we see, The purpose of God's um, sovereign and gracious election of of Abraham is that his people and his descendants might what? Do, then the third line says, might do righteousness and justice. That is his purpose for his covenant people, that we as his people might do righteousness and justice. And justice, but what does it mean to do righteousness and justice? Righteous means being morally upright. A righteous person is one who keeps the moral law. Ezekiel defines the righteous man as one who does what is just and right. So Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verses five through nine says this: If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, If he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores, uh, restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend the lend the interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes, and keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He will surely live, declares the Lord God. So that is the definition of doing what is right, doing righteousness and justice. So negatively, there in Ezekiel, that's what it, so to, to sum up, negatively, a righteous person is one who avoids sin, who would walk with God, and positively, he's the one, he or she is the one who does good to his or her neighbors. That's what it means to do righteous, right? Do righteousness and justice. The purpose for which, for which God has made covenant with us is so that we might do righteousness and do justice in our lives. You know, um, from time to time, I get a question from people. And the question goes something like this. Pastor Wajit, if all it takes to go to heaven and be saved is to believe in Jesus, why can't I just like enjoy my life right now? And then, you know, right before I die, I'm just going to believe in Jesus. Isn't that good enough? Right? 
Have you ever heard something like an argument like, or just a thought like that? And then when you first hear it, it's like, oh, yeah, why not, right? Isn't that what, what the purpose of salvation and all that is? So that I will not go to heaven? Oh, I mean, I will, I will not go to hell, but go to, uh, go to uh, no, I will avoid hell and I go to heaven, right? Now, to a question like that, here's how I'm going to answer. First, you do not know the precise time and the w- or the way you are going to die, right? It is presumptuous for you to think that you will know when you are going to die. And most people, when you have a thought like that, basically you are assuming that you are going to live uh, a long life and you're going to have this like deathbed and you are going to be surrounded by your loving family. And then in your, in your, in your, just in your peace, I say, oh, I'm about to die. I know exactly when I'm going to die. So like a minute before, I'm going to say, I'm going to believe in Jesus so I can go to heaven. But until then, I'm going to enjoy my life. You do not know when you will die and in the manner that you are going to die. Right? I'm sorry to say, but that is the plain truth. When I was back in college, there was a guy. I didn't really know. I you know, met him a couple of times. I said hi and things. And he was a couple of years older than me. I didn't know him that well, but you know, one th- the impression that I got of him was he was not a safe person and he was one confident, proud person. He was very sure of himself. Um, I mean, he partied hard and um, you know, he cursed like drunken sailor and um, but he was a re- uh, smart guy, smart guy, right? And, um, and so he got into um, this, uh, the Wharton School of Business at UPenn uh, for his grad school. So I mean, to get into Wharton, even at that time, it's a big deal. And once you get in, once you graduate from that school, you are set for your life. I mean, the money's going to roll in. He's going to rake it in like crazy. His life was set, right? But what I heard is after that summer from other people is that that summer after his graduation, right before he was going to enroll at UPenn uh, at, at the school, he had a sudden heart attack and he died in his home at the age of 22. So for a guy, probably he might have thought like that. Maybe I'm sure he has heard the gospel or something about Christianity. Maybe he might have thought that, you know what? I'm going to just enjoy my life for, uh, until, until I die in my deathbed. And there I'm just going to quickly say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to just go to heaven. Isn't that, what, uh, isn't that what being a Christian is about? You just do not, so first thing that I want to say when you say something like that is first, you do not know the manner and the time of your death. And the second thing that I would like to say when you raise a question like that is that you do not know a thing about salvation. You do not know, that's what I would say. You do not know a thing about the purpose of your salvation. The purpose of our salvation is not to avoid hell and go to heaven. God does not exist to be our insurance policy to protect us from going to hell. That's not why he exists. When we just put a, frame a question like that, that makes it more like you know, God is a means to an end. right? His purpose for us is to know him and to love him all the days of our lives. Not just kind of just, when we say, oh, I'm just going to enjoy my life. Basically what we are saying is we're going to be missing out. 
and all the fun of life if I actually become a Christian. How foolish. The purpose of our life, uh, his purpose for us is to become more like Christ in our character and become more like him. And to, as we see here, to do righteousness and to justice. Until the final breath that, breath that God gives to us, we are to walk with him and do what is right. We are not saved by good works, absolutely not. But we are saved unto good works, for the purpose of good works. And that is why God saves us. God revealed his, uh, gave us his son so that we will be saved unto good works. Do you understand? If you knew the gospel and God's gracious provision and yet still refuse it, just so that you will enjoy your life, apart from Christ, until the last possible moment? Can you really say that you really know the gospel or God in the first place? Because your view of God would be nothing more than an insurance, once again, to avoid hell, right? Someone that you can take advantage of at your convenience. Your faith, at that time, would not be genuine since your faith is placed in a God of your imagination, not the God as revealed in the scripture. So it's, like, it's an imperfect analogy, but it's something like this. So you are at this right here. God offers you a Ferrari, right? Whew, Ferrari, I mean, think about that, right? You can just salivate and... and, and but then what you do is you say no. Say, uh-uh, no, 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 I don't want it. That's not, that's not my cup of tea. I love my tricycle, and I love to just, you know, just get on my tricycle and just commute to D.C. for three hours each way. I love it, okay? Why would I want a Ferrari, right? I don't want it. And on your deathbed, the moment that you, you're about to die, I say, okay, I want the, the key to the Ferrari. And the moment you get the key, you die, right? Now, can you say that you truly owned a Ferrari at that moment? Technically, yes, but not really. And as it turns out, it was not really a key to Ferrari. It was a key to a beaten down Chevy Aveo or something. Sorry, if, if anybody drives a Chevy Aveo, I mean, I, I apologize, but do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you get the, you th what you thought was a key to Ferrari, that was not the right key. That's what we do if you have that kind of mindset. You see, the purpose for our salvation, the purpose that God is, the God, the God's purpose for us is so that we might do righteousness and justice. Yes, it is an imperfect analogy. Right. The purpose of God entering into a covenant relationship with us is so that we may keep the way of the Lord, as we see in verse 19, by doing righteousness and justice. And this passage tells us that God has heard the outcry of sin against Sodom and Gomorrah. And also there is, that means that there is also an outcry in our generation as well. God is not a Republican, but he hears the outcry of the unborn, unborn babies being aborted. God is not a Democrat, but he hears the outcry of the poor 
and the immigrants being systemically put down and oppressed by racism and xenophobia. And I'm not trying to be political here. We see God listens to the outcry. There are so many things that are not right in our society and in our world. You know, my wife knows this. You know, once from time to time, and you know, I have the 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 network, you know, the antenna, and then I get in a couple of channels. Once in a while, we it, they talk about this like charity. Uh, I don't know if it's Christian, but you know, they just like. Uh, Say uh, to show the condi living conditions out in Africa, like you know Cameroon and a few other Nigeria and all these other places, and it's so heartbreaking to. I just cannot watch it, sit there and watch it, because it is so heartbreaking to see the living conditions of people. I can't just simply sit there and watch through the whole thing, and I just wonder what is wrong with our world. Why is there so much suffering? And here we are, wondering, hey, am I going to drink Coke or Pepsi or you know, the sparkling water? What are we going to eat for lunch? Chipotle or like, you know, Chick-fil-A? You know, those are the things that we are just concerned about while there's so many people out in the world not knowing when the next meal is going to come from. They can't even drink clean... A lot of people, they don't even have access to clean water. So they had to, I saw these children drinking out of this dirty, dirty water. But that's the only source of like water, right? Injustice. If you truly believe the gospel, that we will not turn a blind eye to injustice and suffering of the powerless and the voiceless. We are called to do what is right and what is just. And that is God's purpose for us. As a church, we need to pray and think about in what way is God call us to do righteousness and justice. It's not about just me and Jesus kind of thing. It's like, hey, as long as I'm saved, as long as I'm going to heaven, and as long as I'm just like enjoying my life here, isn't that good enough to be a Christian? No, the purpose of God's covenant, uh, the purpose for us is so that as his people, we will keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that in, 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 the, the passage, in this passage that we look, uh, we, we see, there are many things, but the, the second thing to look at is the privilege of God's people. The first half of the uh, passage, I, we didn't really read, we didn't cover, but it's about God visiting Abraham in his tent. He comes down and actually visits Abraham, Abraham in his tent with two other angels and confirms that Sarah will have the son of promise, Isaac. And in this chapter, we see a combination of, oh, you ready? It's like a really long word, anthrop uh, anthropomorphism. Uh, it means God is being given human-like qualities. So, you know, God as spirit, he doesn't, he doesn't come down and up, go up and down. That's not what God does. God is omnipresent. But it is so that we would understand what the, the action of God. So it's anthropo uh, 
Anthropo, it means man. Uh, morphism means it's in a being changed, right? So God being given human quality, uh, that's what we see, that, that God has come down and I'm going to investigate. And that we also see a theodicy. It means the explanation of divine action, that what God is doing, it's taking time. Moses is taking time to explain his action. It's like the Tower of Babel account, right? God comes down and he investigates. So in this chapter, we see that there is a divine counsel in the tent of Abraham. But you know, if you stop and think about it, we kind of just take all these things for granted. But it's a stunning sin, a scene here. That God would not hide what his plans are from Abraham. In verse 17, it says, Genesis chapter 18, verse 17, says, The, the Lord said, shall I, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide things from Abraham, what I am about to do? Right? God so cares for Abraham that he reveals his plans to him. You know, we've looked at God's purpose for us. And we only get to know his purpose because he has chosen to make it known to us. Right? Because with our depraved mind, there is just no way that we can know what his plans are, what his purposes are for us. Back in 2011, I got a call in the middle of the night. And on the other, on, on the other side, was President Obama, right? And he says, hey, Woojin, come to the White House right now, to the Situation Room, right? The Operation Geronimo is underway, and you are going to come into the Situation Room, and you're going to watch with me of the action, what is about to just go down live. So I just go, you know, with the, uh, discreetly just go, go to the, uh, the White House, and I walk down to the, to the Situation Room. There are only a handful of people seeing it live, right? Obviously, that never happened, right? But, you see, if a president were to do that for his people, that the few people that he would trust, right, who would clear all these top, secu top secret security and all these things, right? We would, I mean, if I were actually calling that, whoa, that would be a true, true, it's an amazing privilege that that the President of the United States would invite me and then let me know of his plans, what he's about to do. He lets me in on that. That's a big privilege for me. It will never happen, but it will, were it to happen, it would be a huge privilege. How much more will, how much greater is the privilege that we have that God has made his plans known to us? of what he's to, about to do, what he's going to do. We take it for granted so often, the fact that God has made his plans, his purpose known to us. I say, ah, this, ah, God should be doing that. God is supposed to do that. Really? God does not owe us anything for him to really reveal his plan for us. It is a privilege that we have that God has revealed his redemptive plan with us. Satan did not 
did not know God's redemptive plan through his son, Jesus Christ. The enemies of God were hell-bent on destroying the Son of God when he came down. And they thought that they had won because they killed and nailed him to the cross and said, victory! Because they had no clue. They had no idea that it was actually the purpose and the plan of God from the beginning of the world that his son would come and be sacrificed for our sake. Little did they know that it was his purpose that he should die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. They, they didn't know because it was not revealed to them. With all the power that Satan and the demons had, they had no clue because God has not revealed his plan to these people. Through Jesus Christ and the word of God, we now know what his eternal purpose is for us. God has revealed that to us. So just the fact that we know it, it is a privilege. Do not take it for granted. Ah, yeah, God should be doing that. What a privilege. And now God calls us to trust in the Son of God and let this good news be known to all of us. You know, James chapter 2, 23 says that, says that Abraham was God's friend. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, now we hear, we are not talking about, you know, Abraham being God's buddy. It's not like, you know, when it says like the friend of God, we may have this idea that, oh, so it means like Abraham could kind of chill with God and say, hey, what's up, God? You know, you want to just like hang out today? I got some time. That's not the kind of friendship we are talking about. That's not the kind of relationship that the Bible is talking about. This designation describes Abraham's relationship to God as one of complete acceptance. That's what it means when it says Abraham was a friend of God, that God has completely accepted him as he is. And you know what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14 and 15? You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. What a privilege that God would call us friends. That we are friends of God. Not in the sense that, hey buddy, but in the sense that God completely has received us and accepted us. What a privilege. Because he's now God's covenant friend, completely received, God holds his divine counsel at Abraham's tent. There he announces his purpose for Abraham and also for the wicked in the Sodom and Gomorrah. For Abraham, as we looked at, the redemption about the child of the promise being born through Sarah. And he makes the announcement about his plan for the wicked, that there will be a judgment. And Abraham's privilege does not stop with God revealing his plan 
plans for him. He even gives, that, so that the first privilege is the fact that God has made his plan and purpose known to Abraham. The second privilege is that he even gives Abraham opportunity to speak in his counsel and to intercede for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. This shows another great privilege of God's covenant people throughout the ages that God allows their voice, voices to be heard in the court of heaven. That God allows our voices to be heard in the court of heaven. Who are we that God should listen to us? God is an all-wise, all-sufficient, all-powerful God. I mean, what can we add to God? What can we argue so that we can somehow persuade God to change his mind? And yet, here we see that God listens to Abraham. What a privilege. The God of the universe is listening to meager people like us. What a privilege. And he grants for six times, Abraham pleads for mercy of God. And God listens to his plea. This past Friday, we had a praise and prayer night. Personally, I was so blessed to you know, just be surrounded by people of God and interceding. And we would just spend time praying for this ministry. We would spend time uh, spend time praying for the king, just many different topics. It is a privilege to pray. And that was the most blessing thing about the whole night, was the people of God coming together in unison with a united purpose and heart. Some families bringing their own kids to, to the praise and prayer night to pray together as a family. What a privilege it is as God's people, because God. So I would just imagine, once again, God doesn't do that, but, you know, like, God would just bend and then just listen to our prayers as we unite our hearts, crying out to God for different topics that we would have. We call on the name of the Lord, and God listens to our prayers and answers us according to His purpose. What a privilege. So here, God grants Abraham's plea for mercy. Started with 50 people all the way down to 10. It seems like he was like haggling with God, but what it really shows is a repeated demonstration of God's justice and mercy. A just God will not overlook wickedness. At the same time, God is merciful that God chooses to listen to the pleas of uh, Abraham. God gives his ear, his attention. Instead of saying, oh, I'm the, I'm the God of the universe. Who do you think you are to try to change my thoughts? Forget you. That's not what God has done. And we see that in his wrath, righteous wrath that is, God shows mercy through the intercessions of his people. Intercession, people, 
is a privilege as well as a responsibility of God's covenant people. So often, we think of prayer as just like, oh, it's just a drag. I don't want to pray. It's just such an unnatural thing. Because for a natural man, it is the most unnatural thing to do. Because it's a supernatural work to pray and intercede to God. But it is also, so we only look at it as a duty and responsibility. But it is a privilege that when we, uh, when we come before God in humility and pray to God, intercede on behalf of his people, intercede for the it's just amazing that Abraham is not even, he's praying, of course he has a um, uh, lot and his family in mind, but he was interceding for the Canaanites, not the Israelites, but the Canaanites. If you were only 10 righteous people, would you still destroy God, please? Right? In other parts of the Old Testament, all these great men and women of God, they would pray for Israel, but here Abraham is actually interceding for the wicked. And still God shows mercy. God gives his ears to the cries of one man. What a privilege. It just shows us that that's what God would do when his people would cry out to him. So it is my hope one day that we would, you know, as we, you know, continue in, you know, Sunday morning at 1040 on Tuesday nights, that we would have, okay, all right. Number doesn't matter. I, 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 I get it. I get Pastor Jay, Jay always tells me, don't get focused on the number of people. And I've come to upset that. I truly believe that. But it would, wouldn't it be like nice that more people, I know out of your busy schedule, tiredness, it's so hard to come out on, on, on church earlier on Sunday or another day out of the week, but to really come together and to intercede and pray for people because God is listening to us when we cry out to him. So, once again, the reason why God has entered into a covenant relationship with his people, we have to know why the purpose of God's salvation, why God has entered into his covenant and we have received all the blessings. It is not so that we can enjoy our lives now, so that we can avoid hell, but so that we might do justice, so that we might do righteousness in this world and also understand that our, as, a, as a God's covenant people, we don't have to simply just carry on like, oh, I'm a Christian, it's a drag, you know, it's such a burden in my life, only if I were not a Christian. That's not the approach or the attitude that we are to have. God has given us this amazing privilege that he has let, let us in. He has let us in on his plan. That now he revealed his plans to us. Now we have come to understand and accepted it. For those of you who are still on the fence, I encourage and challenge you to really, once you hear the gospel, once you, you just talk, once you hear what the purpose of God is for every single one of us, that you would open your heart to the call of God and say, here I am. Yes, Lord, I will, be, I will surrender my life. I will put my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior and follow you. Right? 
and to have the privilege of praying and God hearing us. God of this heavens and the earth, the universe would hear our intercessions. What a privilege. May that be our mindset and approach going forward. Let's pray.